All right, so for tonight, experiencing God, part five, going with the flow, being able to flow in the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? How is, how is that supposed to look in everyday life? Learning to flow in the gifts of the Spirit, very simply, is being able to identify the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he's given you, being able to identify your spheres of influence or your circles of influence, assessing your level of favor, so the level of favor that you have with other people within those spheres of influence, and then also being able to assess your level of maturity. This is how you will be received as trustworthy and credible. So an immature person still may be received but you've got to be able to develop your maturity, your character, and your integrity because trustworthiness then grows. Your credibility with people grows. And the way that we look at this is like if you, not you, but if a person was in first grade, if a student was in first grade, they're in that grade because they need that level of learning. And in order to move on to the next grade or graduate, they need to learn what's in first grade. Same thing, second grade, third grade. It's a very simple illustration, but it should help us all embrace where we are at in our maturity and growth. There's, there's nothing wrong with being immature in the gifts. We just need to grow. We just need to mature. A senior in high school has learned through various stages and lessons to be able to get to that level. And then once they have accomplished their requirements, they graduate. So they're growing through the process. They're learning this lesson. You don't get to this lesson until you've first learned this lesson in different spiritual gifts. Zechariah 4.10. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. Say that one ten times fast. <laughs> Do not despise these small beginnings. Be faithful with a little bit. When you're faithful with a little bit, God can give you more. And it also, it's a test of our character. It's a test of what we're willing to handle and what we're willing to manage. It can test our pride. That's, a, that, that's one, you know, if you get something small, a lot of times that will maintain our humility. So, and, and we want to make sure that we are humble people. So in putting everything together after all of these, these weeks, tonight I want to be able to put these things together for you so that you can begin flowing in what the Holy Spirit has for your life. Or, in most of, the, of your cases, flowing more. You're already doing it, being able to flow more in the Spirit. So, over the last few weeks, we've gotten a basic understanding of how the different gifts work. A lot of us have identified spiritual gifts that we had. So, we got a definition and we go, oh, I, I already have that one. Or, throughout the last few weeks, we have received spiritual gifts that we may not have had before. So we have those two things, but now really, what do we do with them? So first we learn to hear the Lord give us direction and guidance for our personal lives. Then we learn how to minister to our family and friends. And then we also learn the keys to functioning in powerful ways in a church or ministry setting. Flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit means that we are going to flow from intimacy with him. So this all stems 
on intimacy with the Holy Spirit. We've talked about talking to the Holy Spirit. We've talked about intimacy with Christ. We've talked about the, the, the supremacy of Christ being the center of our lives. And it's from that place of intimacy that we flow effortlessly and beautifully following his directions like in a dance. We fall into step with him and follow his lead. Operating in the spiritual gifts means that we're operating in love. 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So if we speak in tongues or we have prophetic powers or we have this great understanding of mysteries and knowledge, and even have great faith, but we do not love, we are a mere sound, which honestly is an annoyance, and we come to nothing. So we may have these gifts, we may do it, but if we're not doing it out of a place of love, it's all for, lo- it's all for naught. We're not doing it for the right reason. We must care more about the will of God and the love that he has for the other person far more than our gift needs to be on display. So if I'm going to minister to a person, I need to minister out of a place of love for that person rather than how big my gift looks or how good I look operating in that gift. I don't care if my gift looks shabby, but they get far more out of it because they experience God's love. That's what it's about. It's about being that conduit from heaven into the lives of other people. Now, we may make mistakes, but that shouldn't scare us away from taking risk. We need to have low risk and high anointing. And when those meet, we operate in a powerful way. We don't want to be people who have high risk and low anointing. Then we become reckless. And again, we're not ministering from a place of love. So we need to be humble, which means to be submitted to leadership and authority. We also need to be teachable, open to correction, direction, and guidance. You know, that's a heart issue. If we're unteachable and somebody says, you know, you, you did this wrong in this setting, you should be able to say, oh, I'm sorry about that. Clean up the mess, make the apology, move forward, live, learn. But if we're not teachable, we're going to go, well, that's not what I meant. You took that the wrong way. We blame. We, we shift the blame. Well, if we're not teachable, we're certainly not going to grow. But that that first person, they say, oh, I'm so sorry about that. How can I do that better next time? And then, guess what? An opportunity presents itself. You do it better the next time. You grow. You learn. You're faithful with little. All of a sudden, more influence, more favor, more opportunity. We're faithful with just a little bit. It grows. So we have protocol in place because protocol... And that's kind of, I don't know why I use that church. That's, that's a, that church word, that's really serious sounding, isn't it? But we do. We have rules in place because that puts guidelines and guardrails on us to protect us. It's not there to control us. It's there to protect you. It's there to protect other people. They are guidelines and guardrails. Guardrails, where do we, where do we find a guardrail? On the edge of a cliff? because you don't want to fall off the cliff. 
It's there to keep you safe. A guideline is very similar. It's a visual. You would have a guideline on the outside of, of the lane, and you might have a double yellow because you don't want to cross over and hit head-on traffic. So these things are there for safety, not for control. Can I drive over into the other lane? Sure. Is it dangerous? Yes. So the guidelines and the guardrails are for you, and they're also for other people. So we also give protocol, again, I don't know why I keep using that word, <laughs> for functioning in your own life because it's simply tips and tools to operate in a wise manner in your family, with your friends, with coworkers. You know, wise people learn from other people's mistakes. They don't have to go through it themselves. We want to be wise people. So we give, we give these tips and tools because we want to be able to minister with wisdom to our family, our friends, our coworkers, or wherever, whatever sphere of influence we might have. As we grow and we develop and mature, we can be trusted with more. Be willing to start small. So that insignificant thing that God is nudging you to do, do it. That thing where you keep blowing it off going, that's too tiny. I don't, I don't want that little thing. I want that big thing. It may be that very small little thing that he's nudging you to do right now that's going to start you down that path towards the bigger goal. So take that small beginning and do not despise it. Be willing to start small. Step out and begin to develop a rapid obedience response. Being swift to obey. So, processing revelation. We need to know how to process what we receive from the Lord. Number one, we thank God. Psalm 100. I refer to this one a lot. It's one of my favorites. It's because it keeps us dependent upon God. It keeps our heart submitted to him. God, thank you. Thank you for this revelation. God, you gave the revelation, and you also give the interpretation. You give the meaning. You give me the wisdom on how I'm supposed to process this, on what this is for. So number one, thank God for it. Number two is write it down. I know that sounds simple, and you go, well, that's not a super spiritual thing to do. It actually is. Because when you write it down, you develop honor and respect for stewarding the things that God gives you. Honestly, I don't really care if you aren't a journaler or a writer. How many of you are writers or journalers in here? Okay, opposite. How many of you don't like to write or journal? Okay, again, I don't really care. Um, <laughs> get a spiral-bound notebook. It doesn't have to be anything special. And if you need to draw a picture, if you need to make bullet points, I'm not telling you that you need to be an essayist. You don't need to be an author. You simply need to steward what God is giving you, okay? So this happened to my husband. He was fighting me on this. He's having dreams. He was having visions. And I told him, I said, are you writing these things down? See, I'm a journaler. I write stuff down all the time. So it's really, that part is easy for me. But my husband does not like to do it. So I finally, I went out, I bought him a really nice leather-bound journal, and I said, when you have dreams, will you please just write them down? Take five minutes in the middle of the night, do it. If you get a vision, write it down. It, very simply, you date it, you can title it, and then write it down. It doesn't have to be anything major. So this happened, right, probably a few days after I gave him this journal. And he got up in the middle of the night, wrote it down, got up the next morning, forgot he had the dream, saw the journal, and the journal reminded him that he had a dream. 
He comes to me and he says, Oh, I think I had a dream last night. And he opens it up and he goes, Sure enough. Now, my husband has horrible handwriting anyway, but in, at 2 o'clock in the morning, it was way worse. So deciphering what he wrote, was that had to be a gift in and of itself right there. <laughs> but so we're going through the dream, and, it was, and he told me, he said, this dream just felt different. It felt profound. And over the series of about two years, we watched the dream. Symbolically, we watched it unfold in ministry life. And it's funny because now my husband says to me, you were right, I was wrong. That's on, t- that's on recording right there. My husband said it, you were right, I was wrong. So he, he saw the importance of writing stuff down. Please do not misunderstand. This is part of the development of receiving revelation. If you want to receive more, start writing your visions, your dreams, and your impressions down. When you steward a little bit, God can give you more. So, this also develops what you're getting, so it isn't very jumbled. When you first start, you're going to go, and it was over here, and then I had this, and I saw a picture of a, a tree, and there was this, and it's very jumbled. Well, you try to explain that to a person, and it's confusing. So, processing it, writing it down, helps you become more c- clear and concise and less confusing. And you learn to self-edit. I've noticed that as I've been writing stuff down, I'll learn the difference between what was revelation and what was my feeling or my opinion. And so when I give that to a leader or I give that to a person, I can say, this was the revelation. And I leave my opinion out of it because they don't need my opinion. If they say, Amelie, what do you think about this? I can then say, okay, I noticed a few things about this. But... We don't want them to have our opinion. We simply want them to have the revelation and the interpretation that goes with it. When you process it, when you write things down, you get better at being able to decipher between the two. Writing stuff down prepares you then to be able to deliver a word. So a lot of times with revelation, whether it's a vision, a dream, an impression, a discernment, whatever form it comes in. It it comes in spiritual language, and we need to be able to deliver it in a clear manner. I heard a story one time of, of they were doing a prophetic school out in California, and a woman had prayed and asked for a word from the Lord. So they were doing some practice, and the pastor said, does anybody have a word for somebody in this room? And this gentleman shakily put his hand up and he's like, I do. And he stands up and he points to a woman across the room and he says, now this was their culture that this was what, this was a practice they were doing. And he said, you are wearing a yellow shirt. And then he sat down and everybody's going, well, that was really profound not. And the woman then stood up. So they asked her, does that mean anything to you? And she said, tears streaming down her eyes. I have a sick child and I have been at the end of my rope and I was praying this morning. I needed a sign from God that he was going to help me with my daughter. And so I told him, I said, if you're going to do something about this, have somebody tell me today that I'm wearing a yellow shirt. Now, the guy had tried to say, and yellow is sunny, and it's a bright color, and it's, he tried to give 
meaning to what the revelation could be, but because he didn't have the, that meaning, that just was his opinion. But just the word, just the revelation was so profound to that woman. She asked God, have somebody tell me that my shirt is yellow. Very simple. And it spoke right to her. So you don't want to give your opinion. If somebody asks you for it, you can give it. But don't just give it. Don't give unsolicited advice. That's my unsolicited advice. There you go. All right, after you've written it down, pray about it. Okay, God, you've given me this revelation. Thank you for it. Um, what does it mean? Ask God, who is this for? Is it for me? Is it for somebody else? What does it mean? When should I deliver this, if at all? God, if, if you want me to deliver this, open the door. How should I deliver this, if at all? Is this simply for me to intercede for only? There's a lot of revelation that I've received that I just pray about. I don't deliver it. I don't share it. Um, I've had words that I've gotten years before, and then seven years later, I finally have an opportunity. Somebody says something, and it connects. And I, and, and, I mean, who knew seven years prior that I was going to have this meeting with this person, and it connected prophetically? Um, so some things we just hold on to and God does something in our heart. And then number four, process with mentors or peers who are developed or are also developing in this. Don't, don't just go asking advice of random people. There's a lot of bad books out there that are going to give you horrific advice on stuff like this. You definitely want biblically grounded material on this. We have a whole section in our bookstore um, that you can take a look at. They've been read. Um, I have flat out thrown out books and pulled them off our shelves because of material that's in them because it's not biblically sound or it's somebody's opinion. And so the books that are on our bookshelves are, are credible. They're sound material. So get wise counsel because wise counsel is going to give you perspective that you don't have, looking at it at a different angle. When in doubt, hold the word and process it some more. This is part of God training you. So the next thing is understanding your circles, understanding those spheres of influence. We've touched on these guidelines and guardrails. Um, again, I'm touching on this. We have seminars, The Art of Hearing God and Understanding Dreams and Visions that we do. Um, that They're 28 hours long each, intensives that we do for... Um, training in prophecy, training in revelation. So if you're interested in that, um, when we do the next one, sign up for them. They are well worth every single bit of those 28 hours and every single bit of, of the money that you pay for it. I don't remember how much it is, but um, we do those here to train you, but I can't cover it in one night. So understanding your circles doesn't have to be difficult. In fact, the three most important ministries that I have live under my roof. My husband and my two daughters. Those are my most precious ministries. Those are the ones that um, are also the most important. They are my priorities. And then, of course, God will be my own personal counselor, guide, and teacher. So I guess I could include a fourth person under my own roof. That the Lord, so influencing my life. So the first thing that you need to be able to do is identify your circles. So the first one is yourself. You're responsible for you. I'm responsible for me. Then your spouse, 
than child or children. And then other family, and I'm trying to put this in order here of, of importance, of um, the way that it's supposed to flow undercover. Then work, church or ministry, community, national and international or global. Okay, so here's where my little flannel graph stuff comes in. So, the first bit of influence that I have is with myself. I mean, it sounds silly, it sounds simple, but it's the truth. I influence me. I'm responsible for myself. Now, let's take... Cindy, can I use you as an example? Okay, you don't have to get up or anything. So, Cindy, her next um, sphere of influence is going to be her spouse. And then I can't remember how many kids you have. How many kids do you have? You have four, okay. See, I would only put two up. So she's got her spheres of influence. Two, are two at home? Two are at home. Are you close to the other two? Okay. So now we're adding even more. We're going to have in-laws and, and, and stuff in there. So, spheres of influence here. And this isn't going to be perfect because now your children are fully encircling you. <laughs> Almost. There we go. Family. Do you have family that you're not close to? Okay. So I want to I use this as an example. So family outside of your like household would be, you know, your parents, your grandparents, cousins, aunts, uncles, th that kind of sphere of influence, other family members. So we're going to do this. We got family that she has influence with, and then family that she's distanced from. Being able to recognize that is important. I have something very similar. I have a lot of people that, I don't have four children, I have two, but... Um, I have a lot of people that I have more influence with, but I have family, might still be in my sphere of influence somewhere, but I'm, I, might even, I might even move it out here a little bit. I'm hoping it gets closer. And I'll even, we'll stick one. We'll be a little more optimistic as well. Okay. So then work. Work could be, if you're the boss, you're going to have employees. So you're going to have a level of influence with your employees that your employees don't have with you. That's lines of authority. So I'm going to overlap some of these just for space sake. So you've got somebody that you're closer to at work. Maybe somebody you still have influence with, but you're not as close with. Just being able to identify that is going to bring wisdom. And then we grow in our church or ministry circles. Now, if this was for me, obviously I could probably go like that, right in the middle. But Cindy has influence. She has influence on the transformation team. She has influence with a women's group. And then um, her kids are in children's ministry. So she's got some other influence there. So you just, you start to evaluate what your spheres are, and maybe where they're going to be. And then I'm going to do this one really quickly. 
Some of us have influence in the community. We have influence on the state level, national level, international or global level. Now, if I was Billy Graham, you could stick global influence with Billy Graham. Amelie Hooper. Maybe one day, a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be able to call up the president and have a conversation and influence him. You know, it would be really cool to have, a, have that kind of influence, but I don't. I recognize that. I'm not silly. I don't have influence with anybody at the state level, but I have influence with community leaders, with some people in the media. So sometimes they will ask me questions, biblical questions. How do, I, how do I attack this in a secular setting from a biblical place? But we don't all have that. I know people whose, whose job is right there in the middle. So being able to identify your spheres of influence. Now, again, this is picture perfect, but let's be honest. Some people might say, man, my influence with my spouse right now is not that great. You have to be able to assess your circles of influence. That's what this illustration is about. So the next thing is that you want to be able to assess your level of favor. Circles, this is where you have influence. Then how much influence do you have? So favor equals investment. You've invested into that person or to, into a group of people, and that can grow. Favor also equals a spiritual assignment. God will give it to you. So um, I started noticing I was 19 years old, and I was working in the youth ministry, and I started noticing that I was having influence with women of all ages. Women in their 60s and 70s would come to me and ask me biblical questions, and I'm going, I'm... 19 years old, why are you asking me these questions? And it's because God started showing me, I'm putting this spiritual assignment on you. If you notice yourself having influence with a demographic of people, you might have a spiritual assignment on you. So being aware of that, and you go, I don't know these people, but I have favor with them. God can put that favor on you for a season and for a reason. A reason may not go away. A season may go away. I'm not going to get into that too much, but God, God can put a spiritual assignment on you. Favor is for the people. It's not for you. When I have favor with, with people, it's not so that I can feel better about myself. It's not a popularity contest. It's because God wants to be able to use me as a voice box to speak into people, to have a message. Again, it's not about, oh, yay, Pat Amelie on the back that this many people she's popular with. Not at all, because trust me, there's people that I don't have influence with, but I don't sweat it. Because if God didn't give me favor with that group of people, then he must not have that message for them. And I'm good with that. I don't need to spend my time trying to get them to like me or to listen to me. I pray they're going to have a different voice box speak into them. If it's a different mandate or if it's a different spiritual assignment, if it's a, a different reason, 
Or maybe God gives me favor with them later. Great. I try to not overthink it. I'm grateful for the people that God gives me for the seasons and the reasons he gives them to me. So favor is for the people. Favor can change. It can increase or decrease depending on the assignment. You know, we have um, itinerant ministers. I have um, a mentor and a friend out of Florida. When I first met her, instantaneous favor, loved her, but we developed in our relationship. And her favor, she had a little bit of favor when she first started here. Now she has a great amount of favor with our people because she has come and invested in our people for several years. So, but her favor grew here. And then her favor has also grown. She goes international. She's a, she's a missionary. She's a revivalist. And um, so she has grown her spheres of influence as well in her favor. So a great way to um, understand or evaluate or assess your favor is did they approach you or did you approach them? If you approach them, you have less favor. If they approach you, you have greater favor. Now, that's not to say if I approached Foley with something and said, Foley, I have a word for you, he would probably go, what is it? But I have, now we go back to the first part, I've, I've got three years of investment into Foley. He's on the transformation ministry team. Um, so if that happened, I've got favor with Foley because of investment, because of spiritual assignment, because um, of his calling, because of the connection here at our church. But if I were to go to a random stranger and say, I, you know, I have a word for you, they might be a little put off. So I have to go in low with very, understanding I have very limited favor and then let the water table rise. So I get to see where that goes. And if it stops, it stops. And then if it grows more, great. But go in low and let the, let, let the water table show you if and where you have favor. But if they approach you, you've got favor. Hey, can I ask you your opinion, or would you pray with me on something? You've got, you've got some favor there. Again, I would still start low and figure out where the water table is on it, but you, you'll notice you'll have greater favor if they've approached you. So as we're understanding our sphere of influence, we're understanding our level of favor with people. Now we need to do the work, because now we've received a word. Let's say we got a word of encouragement for a person. Um, I don't want to be too personal with, with any. Julie, can I share Joe's voice one? Okay. So Pastor Joe is on our staff. I think he, I, I know he would not mind this one. And I'm in the gym. I'm working out. I don't know why God speaks to me in the gym and in the bathroom. Those are the two places that he talks to me. And in two rivers, so there's a third one there. But he talks to me in there. I'm, I'm lifting, and God goes, you need to call Joe and tell him the word voice. I'm like, okay, what? Can you give me some more? And he did. He gave me a little bit more. He said, you need to tell Joe that he has a supernatural voice. And I was like, okay, that's cool. That's, that's cool. That's fun. So I called him, and I said, hey, I need to meet with you. I have, a, I have a cool word that I want to share with you that God gave me. And he's like, okay, can, can, when can we meet? <laughs> I said, how about tomorrow morning? So he comes into my office and he sits in front of me and he says, okay, what is it? And I told him, I said, the Lord said to tell you the word voice. And he teared up. 
And I'm like, okay, that was profound. I didn't even get to the rest of it. The Lord says that you have a supernatural voice. When you sing, you open up heavens over the places where you lead worship. And he starts crying and he tells me, he said, Amelie, I asked the Lord for, for one of two words today. I don't remember what the other word was. Um, could have been grace, something like that. So let's just use that as an example. Grace or the word voice. I got to be a part of that. I got to, and I'm lifting weights. I, I got to be a part of receiving a word. I wrote it down. I wrote down what God was doing. I didn't add to it, and I gave it simply to him. He carries, I copied it out of my journal, he carries it in his guitar case. Still to this day, I think that was 2011, something like that, to encourage him in, in, the, in, in what the Lord is doing in his life. So, when we process revelation, first of all, pray and intercede on that person's behalf. Pray for them. You got revelation, I got this word about the voice. You know, God, what does this mean? Am I supposed to deliver this to him? When should I do this? Ask God to release his will, his wisdom, and his ways. Also, assistance, timing, help, strategies, hope. This one's big. Courage to take action on what God instructs them to do. Courage to take action on something that God has told you to do. Donna shared with me she's got to, some things she's supposed to do. So I would be praying for courage for her to take action on the things that God has told her to do. Then ask if you have an action step to take. So the first thing you want to do is pray. Pray for the person. Pray for what you're supposed to do. Okay, is there an action step? Should I give a word of encouragement? Is it a text message? Am I going to write a card? Am I going to deliver this in person? Do I call them? Maybe it's help or assistance. If they need help with something. Or a listening ear. Don't underestimate the power of truly listening. You know, a lot of times we, we listen with the idea of interjecting. So I'm listening and I'm getting ready for you to pause so that I can interject my opinion. But when we listen... And we let a person process, a lot of times they're going to come, God's going to speak around us into them. They just kind of get the stuff out and it opens them up and they, I mean, they hear from God and they go, oh, okay, well, thank you for that. And I'm like, I didn't do anything. I just sat here. But it opens them up to hear from the Lord on their own. And guess what? Then it can't be stolen from them because God gave it to them. It's truth spoken right into their heart and their mind. Then, very simply, obey. We need to obey. We need to take action. What did God say to do? When did he say to do it? Wait can be an action step. If God says, wait on this, that can still be an action step. That's, that doesn't mean it's passive. It's active waiting. Okay, I'm waiting for the timing of this. But he might ask you to do something. Has he called you to be a small group leader? Then study material and ask your adult ministries pastor what their vision is and what the needs of the church are and fill the need that is there. If any of you were to come to me and say, hey, I want to, I want to be a small group leader, what, what are the needs of the church? I could click off to you 10 of them right now. And guess what? 
I can't do them all. I am waiting for the person who's saying, I feel called by the Lord to lead a small group. What does the church need? I need you to do this curriculum because this is going to teach this into our church. If you're called to be a missionary, get a passport. If you're called to be a missionary and you don't even have a passport, you haven't taken the first step of faith, I'm going to be going somewhere. And then start putting $5, $10, a dollar in a jar and start saving towards that missions trip. Pray about it. God, where am I supposed to be going? Who am I supposed to be going with? Tie me to the right organization. Start taking steps in that direction. If you're called to be an evangelist, read a book about how to share the gospel and your testimony, and then share the gospel with someone. Share the good news. Share the, the, the Romans road with a person. Step out. If you're called to write a book, write. Take some classes on writing. Submit articles to magazines. Take some steps. Take the step of the fear of rejection. For anybody in here who is going to write, maybe I'm pointing at myself now. Take the step. We'll probably be rejected a few times. And then God makes the way. If he told you to do it, he's going to make a way. He's the way maker. So ways that I influence myself. First of all, I thank God for today. Today is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice in it. Sometimes I say this too loud, too early in the morning to my husband. And he's like, I agree with you, but could you wait 10 minutes? Thank you, God, for what you have for me today. Thank you for what you did yesterday and what you're doing even right now. And then I strengthen myself in the Lord or remind myself of what God is doing right now. Right now, I, what he's been doing in my life, the, the phrase that he's given me is that he's the faithful one. In a season where I felt very unsteady and unstable in my own heart and my own mind, he remained unshaken. My rock, he became the faithful one. So that's kind of a, when I pray, I'm, I'm praying, I'm, God, you are the faithful one. So that one's very personal to me. I remind myself of the things that he has done in my character and my life, things he's delivered me from, things he's saved me from, from, you know, bad friendships or bad relationships that I'm not in, and, and he's got me in good ones. I remind myself of his promises of calling and exciting dreams. You know, I remind myself of the books that he's told me to write, and then I take action steps and I write. I read and I study his word. And then I influence my husband. I speak into his life. I'll, I'll pray about what God wants me to minister to him, telling him that I'm proud of him, and specifically what I'm proud of him for. So it's not just, hey, Dan, I'm proud of you. I'll actually pray and say, okay, or, or take some time and say, what am I proud of him for? I'm proud of the way that he takes care of me. He's very calm and, and reserved, and I'm a bundle of energy. And I have thanked him numerous times for putting up with me for 17 years. He just smiles and he hugs me and, and loves on me. But this is a lot. This is a lot to... <laughs> I'm a bundle of energy. So I'll thank him for specific things. For being my best friend. I still call him my boyfriend. He's still my boyfriend. Treats me that way. Does things that are very romantic. And then... 
how can we influence our children? So identify things in the natural that we can see our kids doing. Fo- you know, focus on that and, and speak that into their life. But also, this is really cool. Ask the Lord to reveal words of encouragement to you for your kids. Ask him, journal it. Try practicing on your own kids. That's what I'm saying. The three most important ministries are in my own home. So a few years ago, um, the Lord told me I was an oak tree. Remember me sharing that story? So then my whole family, well, a lot of people were, well, what kind of tree am I? And so my kids were asking me, and they were little at the time. They're like, Mom, what kind of tree am I? And so I started praying, and I asked the Lord. I said, what, what, what are you saying in the same kind of symbolic way about my kids? And he revealed it to me, and I was able to look up some of those attributes and speak those into um, my children. And so it was, very, it was very special to my kids. What about coworkers? How can we influence our, our coworkers? Ready ourselves before we go to work. Not get the sword ready. <laughs> ready your heart, ready your mind. Pray that the Lord would give you words of encouragement for your coworkers. Start small, start with the ones you really like. <laughs> Don't go for the one that you're having conflict with right now because they might take it the wrong way. What are you up to? But, but ready yourself. Pray that the Lord would give you words of encouragement. You know, words of encouragement are prophecy, a word of knowledge. Don't go reading their mail, but speak life into them. Pray that the Lord would give you words of wisdom, that creativity, that strategy to be able to speak into that organization. Don't be surprised if God doesn't just open up the windows of heaven over you and all of a sudden God gives you a strategy and your boss needed to hear it and all of a sudden that's the strategy that he's going to take. But pray for the open door too. Don't just go knocking on his door going, I got a word from God for you. And this is the direction the, the business is supposed to go. You got to wait for the open door. Again, assess your level of favor. Does he approach you or are you approaching him? See how this all, we're, we're working this all together. Be willing to listen to someone at, at work when they need to talk. And listen, don't, don't give the unsolicited advice. Well, you just need to read your Bible more. Okay, are we Bible thumpers here? I, I, I want to listen to that person. And then pray with them if the door is open. If not, try this one on for a size. You know, I'll, I'm going to pray for you about that. Not, you don't have to pray with them, but you slip that in and they go, you're going to do what? You're, you're, you're slightly opening the door for them to go, okay. And then maybe later you say, you know what, I was praying for you last night and I just wanted you to know that. You can start ministering to your coworkers in that way, looking for those opportunities. Similarly with friends, you know, start asking your friends how you can pray for them. If you feel like you've been a Christian that's kind of been a closet Christian and you want to break out into those relationships, ask your friends how you can pray for them. It might throw some of them for a loop. I don't know. I don't know your friends. But, and then you don't have to pray for them right then and there. You can. But just say, okay, I'll pray for you about that. I'll be praying for you about that. And then ask your Lord to give you an, an encouraging word for your friend that you can deliver. All right. So in ministering in our church, I want you to have, I'm going to try to click through this pretty fast um, because there's a lot here. And again, we have seminars that deal with this. We have protocol in place. Um, so if you want to be trained in this way, um, I do have a whole training process on, on the transformation team that we do. But here's, here's some rules 
some guidelines and guardrails for you. So I want to urge discretionary caution because if you know the person, then you're going to have more of an ability to approach that person. You have that favor. Um, but if you don't know the person, proceed with caution. You don't want to make someone uncomfortable. Assess your body language. Make sure that your approach is not awkward or loud or embarrassing. Ask if you can pray with them. If you have a word for a complete stranger, have it weighed and judged by a more mature and seasoned leader in the church. So run it by one of us. Um, briefly, in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, where two, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is being said there. I expect my words to be weighed and judged. First of all, by the hearer. So if I had a word for Cindy, I would expect fully for her to weigh that word and accept it or reject it. And I've had it happen. I've had people bring me a word and they say, I have a word for you. And it was flat out wrong. And I weighed and judged it. I gave them feedback and I said, you are so off base on this one. And then I have had people bring me razor accurate words, bringing me to tears. God just ministering to me. But we have to expect, and I say this with seriousness because I take this seriously. I take your lives seriously. I take the lives of the people in our church this seriously. So I say this with seriousness. But we need to expect for it to be weighed and measured by other people. I also expect that if I deliver that word to Cindy, it's going to be weighed and measured by the spheres of influence around her. People will say, mm, that was a little off base. Or, oh man, she hit that, the nail on the head on that one. And then I also expect that word to be able to be weighed and judged by my leadership and my accountability team. I'm not just off out there delivering words. If I get a word for a church member, a lot of times I'll grab Tim and say, hey, I have a word for, for this person. What do you think about it? And sometimes he'll say, you know what, hold that one, wait. Or, no, you know what, that's a really good word, go deliver that one. So we, we have a prophetic protocol. Again, I know that's kind of like a, it's a term we use around here, so I keep using it. But we expect it to be weighed and judged. Now, if you're a prayer counselor, you have permission to flow in these gifts with peace and with power. You may see something in the spirit and want to, want to break it off of a person. And you may do so. We have the culture here to do it. So if somebody were to come up to me and they were to have maybe a spirit of heaviness on them, I would bind up and break up, break a spirit of heaviness and I would release, you know, Pastor Tim was talking about it last uh, week. I would release peace over them. I would release hope into them. I would flow in the spirit in that. Um, so our prayer counselors are trained in that though. So if you are a prayer counselor, you do have permission to be able to flow in that. Um, but we are mindful of if a person is a visitor, you know, or not. So if a person approaches me and I don't know them, um, first of all, I likely am not going to pray in my prayer language. Um, and I, if, if I notice a spirit of heaviness on them, I probably won't even pray and break a spirit of heaviness. I would probably, in, in Jesus' name, I release peace and hope over you. And that anything that's weighing you down right now, that God would just lift that off of you. So rather than them taking on, I have a spirit of what? And they walk off and that's all they heard. They didn't hear the rest of the prayer. And they're like, whoa, wait a second, what? We release the power of what God is doing in them 
as opposed to just identifying a spirit. Now, that's if I don't know the person. Now, a lot of people, they know what we do around here, so they approach me. Amelie, oh, I think I have a demon. Will you, pray, will you pray and break it off me? Yes, yes, I will. You want to do that right here, right now? Okay, cool. We'll do that. But that's the culture that we have at our church. But we're sensitive to the people who may not be familiar with that. Okay, so just keep that in mind. Or you might have somebody randomly come and grab you. Will you pray with me? Just say yes, Lord. Just say yes. Just say yes. If they ask you, just say yes. All right. So when in doubt, just get pastoral help to help you navigate. If you're at the altar and you're praying with a person um, and you hit a roadblock, kind of close it up and then bring them to one of us and say, they, I think they need to talk to a, a pastor or a counselor um, and we can assess what their needs might be. We've got several different ministries that we can run adults through for whatever their needs might be. So just, just keep that in mind. And then remember, these are guidelines and guardrails. They keep you safe, but I can't presume to know exactly how the Lord is going to use any of us at any given time. We don't want any rogue agents. This keeps everyone safe, but I can't put you in a box either. And that's not what I'm trying to do. Now, dealing with leaders, this one's tricky because you need to be able to assess your level of favor with your leader. You may have none. Um, and this, this has happened to me before where I, because of who I am, people will approach me and think that they're going to get their information to my husband or to my father-in-law or to Pastor Tim. It doesn't go beyond me unless I feel like it is something from the Lord and I process it. So again, I go through the process of processing revelation. I take it very seriously. Um, so you have to assess your level of favor with your leader. Um, I have favor with some of our leaders, but not all of them. I have more favor with some of our leaders and less with others. And I just, I, I work accordingly. Um, for example... I'm married to the lead pastor. That's a lot of favor and influence with one person, right? But again, I take this very seriously. Um, people bounce a lot of ideas off of me. People try to climb over me to get to my husband, and it, it just doesn't work. I don't, I don't let it happen. There's a lot of good ideas out there, but if it's not the right timing, it doesn't get to him. So that's not a... Sorry, don't know why I just got really serious there. But, but maybe, it, maybe it needed to be. But you know what I do? You know what I do for our lead pastor? I pray for him. I intercede for him a lot. Because I have a lot of ideas and I see things and I'm like, okay, this problem needs, needs to get fixed. Okay, I'm not going to pray. I'm, I'm going to pray about this. I'm not going to talk to him about it. Or I might take it to Pastor Tim and say, Pastor Tim, I see this need. I see this problem. We need to fix it. How could we fix this? instead of involving the lead pastor and just getting him involved. We, we strategize in different ways. I pray for wisdom for him. I pray for creativity, protection, vision, timing, counsel. I pray for dreams for him. This one's my favorite. I love praying for dreams for him because he'll wake up some mornings and go, yeah, God gave me the answer to that thing that we, we were dealing with. And I'm like, yes, because he gets really clear dreams. I also pray for the right people to come along and the wrong ones to disappear. I hold most words and visions that I get. God will show me things that are for our church or for him, and I hold a lot of them. I journal them, and I pray for them. Um, 
So I have a personal journal that I keep in my uh, purse. I carry it with me everywhere. I do Bible study out of it. But I have a journal at home that is for my husband. So anything that I'm getting for him as a pastor, as a man, as a friend, it is his journal. So all the things that I'm getting for him, I write them down. I intercede for him on those. I journal a lot. I pray a lot. I process a lot. Honestly, there's a lot of prayer involved. You're not going to get away from this. If you want to function in the revelatory ministry, in you know this kind of stuff, you're going to be praying a lot. You're going to be journaling a lot. But it's worth it. It is so worth it to be part of building the body of Christ in this way. So, really quickly, if you receive a word, vision, or dream, you're going to write it down. If you get something, submit it to the prophetic team or the transformation ministry team. We'll help determine if the word is for you. I've, I've had words come in where a person will say, this is for the church. And as we've prayed and processed through it, they, they get to the end of it and they go, oh, that was for me. And so they thought it was a corporate word, but it was something that God was dealing with very privately in their own heart. Um, so we can help people determine what the Lord is trying to say. Um, sometimes you guys will bring me things that are for the church, and I file those, and those go into things that I am interceding with um, other people for our church. So don't think that you bring me something, and I'm just like, yeah, good job, and throw it in the trash. I take them very seriously. I do process those words, those dreams. Um, if you have a dream and you need, it in, in, you need it interpreted, it needs to be written down. It needs to be dated and, and titled and bring it to our dream interpretation, dream, dream interpretation team. Not all dreams are interpreted, though. Interpretation comes from the Lord. So I'm not saying when you bring that to me, it's a promise of interpretation. But we, will, we have a team that knows how the Lord processes interpretation in people. And it's fun to watch the teamwork. I can tell you, I could go for hours on how fun that is. But again, I don't have the hours. Corporate words are delivered by trained and called members of our leadership team. You know, I've had people tell me I have a word for the church and they want to stand up on the platform. It won't happen. You, you can submit it. We pray about it. And if it is a corporate word, a trained team member would deliver it if it, if it were to go forth. Forth. There's tons of books on Revelation that we have in our bookstore. I recommend that you pick them up. Um, if you have any questions about them, you can run them by me. Julie, would you raise your hand? You can run them by Julie. <laughs> this woman has read probably twice as many books that are in our bookstore. Huge library. She knows a lot of reputable and credible um, resources in our arsenal. If you desire to be trained, attend one of our seminars. So in conclusion... We have identified the gifts of the Holy Spirit that God has given you or ones that you're asking God for. You're identifying your spheres of influence or your circles of influence and then also assessing your levels of favor within those spheres. Being able to assess your level of maturity. We need to learn to know, am I just simply immature in this area? And do I need to grow? And if so... Invest in your own growth. You must grow in your relationship with God. You have to read books on these subjects. You have to be in a culture or group of people growing in the same way. And you need to be serving. You need to be putting it into practice. One of the best ways to do it is be on um, our prayer counselor team. That is a great way to be able to minister in this way at our church. 
to start with. We have other teams. We have our transformation team that operates in prophecy, dream interpretation, deliverance, restoration, inner healing. We have outreach programs. We have a lot of different really cool things that are going on. But if you want to get started, that's a great way to get started. So I'm going to pray and close.